With the Seahawks leading the NFC West and the Giants holding one of the best records in the NFL, the two most surprising contenders in the league this season will battle in Seattle on Sunday. Who has the edge? Patricia Traina and I are going to be breaking it all down in our latest crossover Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s and Giants Nation. It's time for our weekly crossover Thursday special. I'm Corbin Smith for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for today's crossover, Patricia Trena of Locked On Giants. Patricia, who would have thought we'd be going into week eight when these two teams get together at Lumen Field and we would be talking about a game with major playoff implications at this stage of the year? I think going into the season, everybody was thinking... These two teams are probably going to be battling for top five, top ten picks, and yet here we are. The Seahawks are in first place in the NFC West, and the Giants are at 6-1, and one, just behind the undefeated Eagles in the NFC East. Yeah, I know, Corbin. You know, pinch me, because if you had told me the Giants would get off to a 6-1 and one start at the start of the season, I would have asked you for whatever it was you were drinking because it sounded pretty good. But yeah, here we are, the Giants playing really good football, finding a way to get get it done, despite the fact having some some major holes on the offense, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, this show. And uh, just, you know, a couple of them have been close shaves, if you will. You know, the week one win against Tennessee was, uh, you know, if, if Randy Bullock makes that field goal, it's it we're talking a different uh, outcome last week against the Jaguars if you know uh the receiver Kirk was stopped short by 1 yard if he gets into the end zone we're probably talking a different outcome so things have been going the giants way so far and uh you know listen giants country is loving it because we've come out of a decade or almost a decade I should say of lousy football and how nice is it to finally see some good football some good coaching and just a total team effort that we haven't seen for most of the last decade. Really looking forward to diving into some key storylines and some matchups, some predictions, and what really is one of the most anticipated matchups coming up this weekend. Again, I would not have thought that when the schedules came out in May that this was going to be a game that people were going to be excited about. But yet, here we are. So we're going to be diving into those storylines, predictions, matchups coming up here next on this Crossover Thursday episode. Crossover Thursday is presented by our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is so much fun. It's easy to play. No competing with other players. It's just you and the projections available. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. It can literally take less than 60 seconds to enter. It's that easy. We love prize picks and we know you will too. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. We're heading into this matchup on Sunday, as I just echoed a moment ago, a game that has much higher stakes, I think, than anybody could have imagined. You know, Geno Smith taking over for Russell Wilson. The Seahawks weren't supposed to be doing anything this year, and yet we're seven weeks into the season, and the Seahawks are in first place in the NFC West. And meanwhile, the Giants, with their record at 6-1, and they'd be in first place in pretty much every other division. They just happen to be in the NFC 
best, which it's weird saying that because it's been the worst division in football the last couple of years. And yet the Giants six and one are in second place behind the Eagles. And as you were mentioning, there's been so many things that have changed in terms of their ability to win these close games. And really it has to boil down to the head coach, right? I mean, this has to be like when Pete Carroll came to town and just changing the culture that wasn't a good one before he arrived. Yeah. Brian Dable has come in and uh, you know, a guy from the Belichick tree, the Saban tree. And, you know, we all sat there and we said, uh-oh, are we going to get another repeat of Joe Judge who, you know, was here? He was a, a Belichick disciple, a Saban disciple. Brian Dable has been a breath of fresh air. And, you know, he's very much like Belichick in some ways, but in, in a lot of ways he's not. And I think the way he has built up this program is through giving everybody a sense of ownership, a little piece of ownership, whether you're, you know, the cafeteria worker, whether you're the third string, you know, cornerback or, or whatever, whatever your role is in that organization, every single person in that building who has a giant's past, if you will, has a sense of ownership and just Dable has been human. You know, he's been very, you know, uh, caring about his players. I know a lot of coaches say that they care about their players, that their door is always open this guy shows it in more ways than ones. I've had players tell me how caring he is, how understanding he is. But at the same time, that doesn't mean he's a pushover. He's also very demanding of them. He knows that, you know, if he's not getting the best out of you, he's going to go to you and say, hey, Corbin, you know, I know you've got more that, you, that you're not giving me and I need to see it. So very honest, upfront, different culture. And it's a winning culture. And boy, covering the Giants after 10, almost 10 years of, of lousy football, it's been fun this year. I'm not going to lie. I could say it's been pretty fun covering this Seahawks team, too. And I didn't think that that was going to happen this year. I mean, maybe some excitement about the rookies because there was a lot of tangible excitement about the rookies. But, you know, Geno Smith with his track record, seven years in a row as a backup, some of that time was in New York behind Eli Manning. Certainly didn't become their future franchise quarterback once Manning was out of town, didn't work out there, bounced around, and yet looks like the second coming of Rich Gannon this year. I don't know that you can pick 10 quarterbacks in the NFL right now that you would rather have running your offense than Geno Smith. He's been that good, particularly compared to NFC quarterbacks. And I guess that just begs the question, we're looking at storylines coming into this game, you know, how is Gino going to handle this opportunity to play a second straight revenge game, so to speak? And he's certainly not treating it that way publicly, but you know, the chargers last week, one of his former employers that he played for as a backup goes out, has two touchdown passes, made some dazzling throws, had a couple nice runs. The Seahawks put up 37 points on him. Is that going to be something that's looming on his mind going into this game? Like, Hey giants, you could have had this. Maybe we could have made this work out. But I know that he's really happy to be in Seattle. And the other issue he's going to have to deal with here, and the Giants will be very happy if he doesn't have this particular player available to him, is DK Metcalf going to be on the field? That's really the biggest storyline for the Seahawks going into this week because Metcalf is one of the top 10 receivers in football. Such a physical presence. The Giants have smaller cornerbacks. So this would seem like this might be a matchup that really plays into his hands. And yet, with a patellar tendon injury, they are going to be playing it very cautious here. Did not practice on Wednesday. Probably not going to be practicing till earliest Friday. Maybe not even by then. 
seems unlikely at this point that he's going to be able to play on Sunday, but they're not listing him as out yet. They're holding out hope. Maybe he can play, but that is a huge storyline hanging over this game. We're talking about a player of his magnitude. If he's not able to play against a six and one giant squad, that is certainly a big loss. that The Seahawks are going to have to try to overcome without him. Yeah. For the giants, the biggest storyline, and there's a few, there's a few this week, but I think the one that I'm going to go with, are the injuries. And I know Giant fans are saying, ah, here we go again, because it seems like every year I talk about injuries. It seems like every week I talk about injuries. But this week in particular, the Giants are going to be missing two offensive linemen, left guard Ben Bredesen and rookie right tackle Evan Neal. Both of them have sprained MCLs, probably are not going to play. That wouldn't be so bad, except they're also going to be missing tight end Daniel Bellinger who, of course, has the eye injury he, for which he needs surgery to repair a broken orbital bone and septum. All right, so now, why is this a big deal? Besides the fact that Daniel Bellinger has been a very big part of the passing offense, the Giants' offensive line, if you, going back to the start of the season, was a little shaky, especially in pass protection. And at times, it's been shaky. Bellinger, one of his, his uh, underrated talents, I think, has been his blocking, which has gotten better and better and better each week. And that line has kind of settled down a little bit. So now you don't have him. You've got two backups now um, in, in the offensive, the starting offensive line. And it's like, okay, what are you going to get as far as pass protection? Now, people are going to say, well, you know, the Giants got Saquon Barkley. Yes, they do have Saquon Barkley who can run the ball. Daniel Jones can run the ball. But at some point, you're going to have to pass. And what's going to happen when you have to pass? So I think those are the storylines. And plus, don't forget, those missing offensive linemen were good run blockers. Daniel Bellinger, a good run blocker. So I'm curious to see how this whole thing evolves, how the coaches plug in the holes, what they do to you know make sure that there's not that much of a drop-off, if any, especially for the run game and for the passing game. Yeah, there were, we're at the time of year now, Patricia, where basically every team's dealing with this every single week. Who's going to fill in for who? Teams are starting to get banged up. The war of attrition is settling in. So that's going to be the case on Sunday. Seattle's got some big-time names that are on their injury report, headlined by DK Metcalf, the Giants, particularly their offensive line, missing some players that may not be available on Sunday. And it's going to boil down to who can pick up the slack for those players that are out. That's going to be a big difference maker coming into this game. We're going to get into some matchups coming up next, looking at Giants-Seahawks perspectives, which matchups may concern the Giants. Patricia's going to break that down. I'm going to look at some concerning matchups for the Seahawks going into this home game for Week 8. We're going to get to that here in a moment on our latest Crossover Thursday special. Whether you're looking to pop the question, have a milestone to celebrate, or want to let your love sparkle, Blue Nile can help you make your celebrations even more memorable. As the original online jeweler, Blue Nile offers the largest selection of independently graded diamonds and pieces priced significantly below traditional retailers. Blue Nile has helped millions of couples create their perfect engagement ring. Their easy online tools let you choose the diamond shape, the size, clarity, as well as setting style. Blue Nile's Bench Jewelers will then help you handcraft her perfect one-of-a-kind engagement ring. Looking for a fine piece of jewelry to commemorate a special milestone but still having trouble choosing? Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7. They're available via phone or chat. 
to help you find a memorable gift at every budget. Shop stress-free with Blue Nile's 100% satisfaction guarantee, and all Blue Nile orders are insured and shipped for free in discreet packaging. They also offer overnight shipping if you're in a rush and need your ring quickly. Make your moment sparkle with Blue Nile and go to BlueNile.com. Use their code Locked On to save $50 in your purchase of $500 or more. That's BlueNile.com, code Locked On to save $50 on your purchase of $500 or more. BlueNile.com, use the code Locked On. This episode is brought your way by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs are the most comfortable clothing on the market, bar none. I wear one of my sweatpants, joggers, or khakis nearly every day because they're like walking in a fluffy cloud. You can wear them out to work out. You can wear them to work meetings. You can wear them rain or shine. It doesn't matter because they always feel great. They're perfect for golf as well. You might not play like Tiger Woods, but they're still going to feel good. You're going to feel as good as Tiger Woods. Bird Dog joggers are higher quality than other top brands, and they cost $20 less. What are we talking about here? Go buy some Bird Dogs. Still wear shorts in the winter. It doesn't matter if it's Florida or 10 degrees in New England or Chicago. They have their signature shorts with built-in liners, the most comfortable shorts in existence. Go to birddogs.com and enter the promo code Locked On, and they'll throw in a free Bird Dogs rope hat. That's birddogs.com, promo code Locked On, and boom, a free Bird Dogs rope hat with your pair of Bird Dogs, the most comfortable shorts, pants, and sweatpants with built-in liners. You will not take these things off, I promise you. You're listening to Crossover Thursday here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Corbett Smith of Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for today's crossover, Patricia Trena of Locked On Giants. Special thanks to all the Seahawks and Giants fans out there for making Locked On Seahawks and Locked On Giants your first listen five days a week. All right, Patricia, we've got this huge matchup coming up on Sunday. And I'm going to keep repeating this just because I cannot get over the idea that <laughs> we are looking at a week eight game between the Seahawks and Giants and thinking, there are major playoff ramifications. Middle of the season, I mean, the Giants right now have one of the best records in the NFC. The Seahawks are in first place in the NFC West after seven games. Nobody expected either one of those statements to be true, and yet here we are. Let's talk matchups now. From a Giants perspective going into this football game, we'll let you talk about one on offense and one on defense here, but let's start with the Giants on offense. What is a matchup that either you are intrigued by or – you are concerned about going into this game from a Giants perspective going up against the Seahawks. I think that passing game, like I mentioned, the Giants receivers, they've been, you know, they've been okay, but not great. And uh, the Seattle defensive secondary is really good. I mean, they remind me of the Legion of Boom, like a, wa a watered-down version Legion of Boom. They are that good. Um I'm a little concerned about those matchups there and how they're going to play it. Because like I said, the receivers, they've been able to do what they need to do by benefiting also from the tight ends who have contributed to the passing game. But I don't know, you know, with, 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 with Bellinger out, that's a huge, huge loss. You're going to hear me say that a lot. And um, I'm not sure how they're going to make up for that on, on that offensive side of the ball. Now flipping the script and looking at the defensive side, Kenneth Walker scares me. That Giants run defense has hasn't really been sharp, as sharp as 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 you'd like to see it. The linebackers haven't their run fits have been terrible. Some of their angles have been terrible. The tackling has been sloppy. Tay Crowder has, I think, 11 missed tackles according to Pro Football Focus. 
you're going up against a guy like Kenneth Walker who can do some serious damage there. I could see them grounding the ball out, pounding that down the Giants' defensive throats, and just wearing those guys out. Yeah, I think that that's a perfect segue for me because that is the matchup that I have cited as one that intrigues me from a Seahawks perspective because Seattle leads the NFL averaging 5.6 yards per carry, and that's even after losing Rashad Penny to this season. There were a lot of people who were in an uproar when the Seahawks used a second-round pick on Ken Walker III back in April. I was not one of them. Of course, I'm a running back guy, so I'm always going to pick running backs in the second round, but Walker was such a dynamic player at Michigan State, and Penny, as good as he has been when healthy, he hasn't been healthy very much, and that continued to be the trend of this year with him going down, and all Walker has done is come in and be the most productive running back in the NFL the last three weeks, 168 rushing yards in their win on Sunday against the Chargers. The Chargers' run defense wasn't necessarily a good one either, but this kid is electric. He can make guys miss. He can bowl through guys. He got clocked at north of 22 mile an hour on a 74-yard touchdown run, the fastest ball carrier in the NFL, according to Next Gen Stats, for this entire season. So this kid is the complete package. Their line is playing better than people expected. And I look at the Giants, and it's kind of – it's one of those – on one hand, I'm worried because Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams have been a real problem for the Seahawks in the past. Those two were critical to the Giants winning in Seattle two years ago. They had dominant performances. This offensive line, though, I think is better than what that group was, at least at that stage of the season. They were battling some injuries late in 2020. I look at the linebackers, though. As much respect as I have for Jalen Smith for what he did, being, being an Indiana kid myself, I got to watch him play in high school. Loved him as a player at Notre Dame. He just can't move like he used to be able to. He hasn't been able to really his entire NFL career. I look at Crowder and think he's athletic, but can he hold up physically against Seattle's run game if they start trying to pound the rock between the tackles? So it's one that I'm intrigued by that I think could work in Seattle's favor at the same time. If you can't block the two defenders in the interior, it's not going to matter. So the Giants still have a chance to thwart Seattle's run game from that perspective too. So that's what I'm looking at for the Seahawks on offense. Defensively, it all revolves around the quarterback and running back running the football. Now, Seattle has gotten much better the last two weeks defending running backs. They held Austin Eckler to under three and a half yards per carry. They gave up just 53 rushing yards to the Chargers last week. I don't think the Chargers really made much of an effort to run the ball, but the Seahawks shut them down, shut down a couple fourth down opportunities on the ground too. And then the week before, the Cardinals, their running backs average less than two and a half yards per carry. But those teams don't have Saquon Barkley, and they don't have the Daniel Jones threat as far as running the football. Kyler Murray's dynamic, but statistically, he has not been as dynamic as Daniel Jones. And every mobile quarterback the Seahawks have played this year has just lit them up. Even guys that don't play every down. Taysom Hill had over 100 rushing yards, and I think he played like 10 snaps against them in that game a few weeks ago. They have not been able to stop running quarterbacks. And so that worries me a lot going into this game from a Seahawks perspective. Are they going to be able to not only handle Saquon Barkley, who is approaching 800 rushing yards, looks like the guy that came out of Penn State as a top five pick, and most people weren't batting an eye about it because of his talent, and then Daniel Jones, his ability to run the football, and really just sneaky athletic, his ability to run away from people, extend plays, that is something that is concerning. A defense is playing better. Those are still issues that have not necessarily been solved, and they've played against teams that don't have the rushing attack that the Giants do. So that certainly is a concerning matchup for me going into this game. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing you, you mentioned, Geno Smith, and I just want to talk real quick about him if I could here. Geno Smith will famously go down as the guy who broke Eli Manning's consecutive game started streak. Um, that was when Ben McAdoo was the head coach. You know, the Giants were struggling. McAdoo wanted to go with a little bit more of a mobile quarterback. Geno Smith was the guy. And in retrospect, if you go back to that year when the Giants signed Geno Smith as a, as a free agent, um, somebody asked about, you know, could he be the guy? And, and McAdoo kind of said with a sly smile at the time, sure, why not? Why couldn't he be the, you know, a quarterback of the future? Because Eli at that point was at, at the uh, t- the tail end of his career. So, yeah, Geno Smith caught up in that whole thing. Now, if I remember correctly, they played the Raiders with Geno as the starter. Geno played well, but the Giants still lost. And then, of course, there was the great, you know, bloodbath with the firings of the Giants in season. Jerry Reese, the GM, McAdoo, the head coach, they were fired as soon as they came back from that, that game against the then Oakland Raiders. So Gino, you know, between that and I think between, you know, what happened with the Jets, uh, got a lot to prove. And I always remember draft the, the, the year that Gino was drafted, he was sitting in the green room. And if I'm not mistaken, he was uh, not taken, he was not drafted, I think, until the, the second day. Yeah. And he was kind of, you know, you can tell he was kind of embarrassed by that. So Gino Smith is on a tear right now to show the league that, he is very much a viable quarterback, and he's thus far done a really good job for the Seahawks, who I know a lot of the fans, you know, when they they had that trade, and they got Drew Locke. They were like, oh, gosh, we're doomed, you know, but Gino has stepped up and, and uh, you know, look, I when Gino was here, I liked Gino. He and I got along. We used to chat and everything like that, so good for him, but uh, I think the Giants are hoping that that maybe he doesn't have one of his better games against them on Sunday. Yeah, I think this might be one of those cases where there's maybe some Giants fans out there. You know, I didn't mind him when he was here, but no, you do not play like you have most of this season and light up our secondary and throw it all over the place. And uh, Gino's going to be hoping to show them, hey, this is what you could have had. So I don't know that there's a revenge game element when you're talking about a guy that was a backup quarterback. But at the same time, with the way he's playing, maybe it has turned into that kind of a me against the world type thing or the Seahawks against the world type thing. And and they're kind of seeming to embrace that mentality, and they're having a lot of fun doing it. We're going to get to some uh, keys to victory coming up next, looking at what the Giants-Seahawks have to do to escape with a win at Lumen Field. And we're not going to have score predictions, but we're going to have something a little bit different looking at Sunday's matchup between the Seahawks and Giants. We're going to get to that coming up next year on our Crossover Thursday episode. This podcast is brought to you by Simply Safe. When it comes to burglars, your home is like the end zone, and you need the absolute strongest defense you can muster. This is why I use and trust Simply Safe home security. At Simply Safe, your security is the only thing that matters. It's cutting edge technology powered by 24 7 professional monitoring agents who always have your back, so you always know your home is safe. Simply Safe keeps my home safe with the best technology available. I've got the ability to control my system from my phone. I can watch my security cameras in crystal clear HD. And I have a variety of high-tech sensors at my disposal for the best quality protection. And the best part, with 24-7 professional monitoring, Simply Safe's agents call you the moment a threat is detected and dispatch police or first responders in an emergency, even if you're not home or you can't be reached. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash lockdown NFL. Save 20% on your Simply Safe security system. When you sign up for an interactive monitoring plan and get your first month free, visit simplysafe.com slash lockdown NFL to learn more. There's no safe like Simply Safe. 
You're listening to Crossover Thursday here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Corbin Smith for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for today's crossover, Patricia Trena of Locked On Giants. We've got this big matchup, Seahawks hosting the Giants on Sunday. Two teams that entered the season with pretty low expectations, and things have changed with the Seahawks being in first place in the NFC West. The Giants at 6-1, and one, very much in the hunt for not just the NFC East Championship, but the number one seed in the NFC, again, who would have thought either one of these teams would be in the position that they are in now heading into this matchup for week eight, a game that I kind of wish was flexed into a primetime slot, but it's a little late to make that happen. But it's going to be one of the big matchups coming up this weekend. Let's talk keys to victory, what each team needs to do to get a win. These teams are very similar in a lot of ways. I see a mere identity in a lot of ways, not just in roster construction, but just the way the coaches have changed the culture and things of that nature. What do the Giants need to do to go to Seattle, one of the toughest places in the NFL to win? It seems like they've gotten their home field advantage back some this season. What is it going to take for them to go into Lumen Field and win? Discipline. You know, this the 12th man is very famous outside of uh, Seattle and how that can, can actually um, rattle some of the visiting teams. You know, they can get loud. And I've been in that stadium, by the way. I know they can get loud. So the Giants been practicing with silent counts and, and hand signals and all that good stuff, but you got to be disciplined, you know, especially when, when the Giants are on offense, no false starts, no, no, uh, you know, stupid penalties as a result of the noise, play, play disciplined ball. Number one, that, that, that's first and foremost. The other thing that I think the Giants have to do is just basically stick with what, what's been working, which has been running the ball, you know, get the ball in Saquon Barkley's hands. And if Saquon gets shut down, maybe give the ball to Daniel Jones, who has shown that he can run the ball, you know, and, and be that backup running back, so to speak. You know, I still get a little queasy when I see Daniel Jones take off with the ball in his hands, because I know, you know, historically speaking, he's gotten hurt as a runner, but look, he, his legs have been, a vast, have been an asset. So, you know, why take that away? So that's going to be, Something that obviously I want to see them do is, is is be able to run the ball because, like I said, I don't know how well this passing game is going to hold up against that defensive secondary and without Bellinger and, and, and the changes on the offensive line. So discipline and running the ball, being able to run the ball in some capacity. Defensively, I think a key is going to be stopping Walker. Like I said, he scares me. Um, this kid is averaging, I think, almost four yards per contact. I'm sorry, four yards after contact um, on his runs, got to wrap him up. And the tackling hasn't been as sharp. But like I said, for this Giants team, they got to be a little bit better, a lot better, actually, if they're going to stop him. I look at this game from Seattle's perspective, and yeah, they've got athletes. They've got playmakers like Ken Walker III. Marquise Goodwin is still a low 4-3 guy, and he can fly. Tyler Lockett can still run. They've got three really solid tight ends that can do damage as receivers. They also are solid blockers. I mean, there's a lot of weapons, but this game is going to boil down to how the guys in the trenches play. And you can say that really about any game, but I'm especially going to emphasize that for this one because I mentioned it earlier, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, they scare the daylights out of me. Those two guys, I mean, Russell Wilson was the quarterback then. The offense was a little bit different than what they're doing now with Geno Smith, but still, those two, they, from the first snap to the last one, 
were feasting on Seattle's offensive line. They couldn't run the football that game to save their lives. They tried to drop back and throw like 50 times. That was a recipe for disaster with those two getting pressure up the middle. Seattle cannot have that happen again. They're going to have to be able to run the ball in this football game and play some keep away to an extent to try to keep their defense fresh. So that's all going to boil down to the offensive line. Can you open up those run lanes so that Ken Walker III can do what he's done the last couple weeks, get to the second level, work against those linebackers for the Giants? That is not a strength for their defense. Ken Walker III can make those guys miss, can break through their tackles, but you've got to get him to the second level. So they got to be able to finish up there. And can you protect Geno Smith well enough that he is able to get the football out? He's distributed the football as well as any quarterback in the league this year, especially to his tight ends. He's getting everybody involved, but he's not going to be able to do that if there's interior pressure immediately that's getting to him or Thibodeau's flying off the edge coming out. They're going to have to be able to protect him. And on the defensive side of the ball, this one's really simple for me. Make Daniel Jones beat you with his arm. I think they have to shut down the run game. It has to be priority one, two, and three. And when you're playing a mobile quarterback, it makes it a little bit tougher because you've got that element, the design runs, the boots, and stuff like that that you have to worry about. The extended pass plays where receivers can separate and they can get explosives. Those are things you have to worry about with mobile quarterbacks. But if they can find a way to bottle up Saquon Barkley, contain Daniel Jones, don't let him burn you with his legs and say, look, you need to show us that you can win as a passer. In the past, that would have been a laughable thing for the Seahawks because their defensive struggles the last couple of years have mainly been the passing defense. But get in a position where Daryl Taylor and Uchenna Nwosu can pin their ears back. Boy, Mafe, let him get after the quarterback, rush after Daniel Jones. When he gets under pressure, he still can make bad decisions. Has not had to worry about that as much this year. That's going to be the key for the Seahawks. Make this an offense that has to beat you passing the football. And as you've said, can they actually do that remains to be seen, especially with the injuries they've got at receiver, some of the losses they've already had. The Seahawks, that should be what they are betting on, that if we can force you to beat us passing the football, we can make Daniel Jones make some bad throws and get a couple turnovers at home. Our chances of winning this game go up exponentially. Yeah, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a tight game here. I mean, I could see this one coming down to to a field goal. And uh, I know we're going to talk about, you know, predictions in just a second, but um, this is a game, you know, I don't even, I don't know if this is the game of the week on, on the channels, but I agree with you, you know, when you said that you, it was kind of surprising that this game was not flexed because, you know, when it comes down to the wild cards, you know, you figure in the NFC East, if the Eagles end up winning the division and then you've got to go for wild cards, this game, that the, the playoff implications are important because, you know, you've got the head to head. So very curious to see if the Giants can go uh, seven and one, then they have a bye week right after that. And then they get kind of a soft spot to their schedule, if you will. I think they host the Texans out of the bye. Um, so I'm very interested to see. It's a long trip for the Giants. They're going to handle it kind of similar to how they handled their trip to London. And uh, let's see if they if they bring that energy and that determination. I think they will. I think I think Brian Dable will have them ready to play. Um, but we'll just see who who, who uh, matches what's better. Let's look at the predictions aspect of our show here. And normally I would be dishing out my score prediction, but we're going to switch it up for this crossover thanks to our friends at Bet Online And looking at the odds right now, the number line, the Seahawks are the favorites in this matchup. 
minus three. I look at the odds right now, and that seems about right to me. Seattle's coming off that big win over the Chargers, a pretty solid Chargers team that was four and two going to that game. They win on the road. Seattle's won two in a row. They've got the number five scoring offense in the NFL. I still can't believe that I'm saying that, but they've been doing it week in, week out. They've been putting points on the board. And then you got a Giants team that's sixth in scoring defense, and they can run the football as well as anybody. So I look at those numbers, and I'm expecting that this is going to actually be a little lower scoring game. The way Seattle's defense has played the last two weeks as well, contributing to that, I think it's going to be a little lower scoring game, and I expect it is going to be very tight. Again, these teams mirror each other in a lot of ways. I think both coaches, they're not the same guy, but I think they both have some of the same qualities when it comes to building a culture and getting respect from players, being able to get players of multiple personalities, different personalities to be able to buy in. And we've seen that with the Giants early this season. We've seen it with Pete Carroll with all the moves they made. And they're four and three when they weren't supposed to be because he has players believing and buying in. They both want to run the football. They're physical football teams. Their defenses have both improved as time has gone on. And Seattle really struggled early on, but the last two games have been great. So I just look at two teams, a lot of similarities. They both are in a youth movement, some really good rookies that are playing meaningful snaps for them. So I anticipate that this absolutely is going to be a tight one. And I agree with those better line odds. This does feel like one that, to me, is going to come down to a field goal, maybe a four or five point game at most. going to be very close. You know, I can understand the odds, you know, because, you know, last week the Giants weren't favored either against the Jaguars. And they very nearly, like I said, one more yard and, and we're talking a different outcome of the game. That said, you know, again, I understand the why the Seahawks are favored. They are at home. They've been playing well. Uh, that that 12th man crowd is something to deal with. Um, the Giants now are going from east to west, which is a little different than going, you know, west to east like they were for London. Um, but you know what? I think at the end of the day, it's going to be more than just a field goal. I'm not so sure that a field goal is going to determine the winner. I could see this being this game be decided by a touchdown. Um, the Giants in their one loss this season against Dallas, that was a one-score game. So they have kept things tight. But I think it's going to come down to whoever's got the ball last, and I could see it being a difference of a touchdown as opposed to a field goal. We'll find out once we get to Sunday at Lumen Field. Again, one of the more anticipated matchups coming up this weekend. <laughs> Something that nobody could have forecasted before the season started. A lot of people thought the Giants were going to be in the basement in the NFC East. Most people expected the Seahawks to be in the basement in the NFC West. And yet, that is not played out for either team as it was expected to. And they're both very much in the playoff hunt now, midway through the season. A great chance to create some separation and really solidify playoff standing for both of these teams. Should be an exciting game at Lumen Field. I'm Corbin Smith for Locked On Seahawks. She's Patricia Trainer for Locked On Giants. Thanks to all the 12s and Giants Nation out there for making both Locked On Seahawks and Locked On Giants your first listen five days a week. Enjoy the game coming up this weekend. Make sure to check out the Friday editions of Locked On Seahawks and Locked On Giants. I'm sure plenty more game preview content coming up as we head into this pivotal matchup on Sunday. Going to be dished out on both shows. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks, go Giants.